0: want well, to thank you all again for coming out tonight. Glad that you are with us. Uh, we're going to continue with our, our Sunday night series that we've been doing through the winter months. Tonight we're going to be looking at 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. You might want to get a, a New Testament. Go ahead and turn there, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians tonight. Before we get started with that, I want to give another pat on the back to uh, our youth group. And all of the young people and all of the, uh, the folks who are helping out with our, with our young people. They did go to the Teen Sing and today uh, they've got Church Raiders Wednesday night. The Devo that's coming up next Sunday night. And then at the end of this month they're going. I'll be going to the CYC in Pigeon Forge. I think if I've got my number right, I think Willie said there were about 100 and 150 kids today. Is that what he said? About 150 kids there, and that's, that's a terrific number. Last year at the CYC, there were 13,000. And it's always good, always good for our young people to, to associate with, with other young people who are, who are interested in living a Christian life. And so a pat on the back to our young folks and the people who are making those things uh, happen, the adults who are making those things happen. First and second Thessalonians. The city of Thessalonica was located in uh, Macedonia. Macedonia is in, in the northern part of Greece. It was a very prosperous city back in the first century. It had a, a, a natural harbor for the ships to come in on the Aegean Sea. It was also located on a main thoroughfare. The, the Romans were, were great engineers and great road builders. There are there still, still roads in Europe today that you can drive cars on that the, the Romans originally built. They were, they were great road builders. And there was, a you might say, an interstate running through Thessalonica. The Romans called it The Ignatian Way, it was one of their main thoroughfares through the Roman Empire. It went right through Thessalonica. And so for their day and their day and time, Thessalonica was probably a pretty good place to live. It was a prosperous city. Uh, No doubt people, most of the population probably lived pretty well in their life. And travel there, which mostly was either going to be... uh, Overland on the Ignatian Way or or by ship, travel was probably as as easy as, as it could be uh, for the first century in that day and time, and so that's the kind of, of city that Thessalonica was. Paul actually visited there on his second missionary trip, and the story of that is recorded for us in the 17th chapter of Acts. We won't look at that whole story tonight, but I do want to tell you that he actually had some success there and uh, founded a congregation and got the church started in Thessalonica. But at the same time, there was a lot of opposition there. The The Jews basically ran him out of town after a while, and they were so mad at him, Paul left Thessalonica and went on to the next town, which was Berea, They just followed him and stirred things up there too. And so uh, while he had some success there, got the church going, there was a lot of opposition in Thessalonica. The main main topic, the main subject in 1st and even in 2nd Thessalonians is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Somehow, we don't know how, We'll get a clue over in Second Thessalonians uh, when we get there in just a, just a few minutes. But somehow the people in Thessalonica had come to believe, had, had, they had gotten some wrong ideas, is a better way to word it. They had gotten some wrong ideas about the second coming of Jesus Christ. It appears, if you read First and Second Thessalonians, it appears that some of them have had just basically decided, well, hey, it's going to be just any day now, and so we can just quit our jobs. We can just sit back and take it easy and wait for Jesus to return because it's going to be just any day now. Also, one thing that Paul had to address was the fact that during this time, some families lost loved ones, and again, somehow they had got it in their head that since they passed before Jesus returned, they had missed out on their chance for heaven. Now, uh, in Second Thessalonians, we maybe get a little bit of clue, uh, a little bit of a clue as to how all this false information was was getting started. But however it was. Paul spends a good deal of 1 Thessalonians addressing that very subject, the second coming, and straightening out some of these misconceptions about it. In chapter 4, in chapter 4 and beginning down about verse 9, let me show you uh, what he says to them. But concerning brotherly love... You have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another, and indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, and that you aspire to, to lead a quiet life and to... To mind your own business and to to work with your own hands as we commanded you, and that you, you just gotta go on with your life there in Thessalonica. Just continue on as you always have, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside, and that you may have may lack nothing. Just keep going on about your life. Uh, go go to work. Do your jobs. Uh, make the proper preparation, and then you'll be ready when this happens. You've got to go on about your everyday life. He will address in just a minute as to when Jesus might return. He's going to uh, clear up some misconceptions about that as well. But before he does that, he takes some time to try to comfort those who fear that their loved ones uh, are lost. He says, But I, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, though those who have, have passed away, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain till the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. They're they're not lost at all. And he paints a picture for us here as to what that, that last day will actually be like. He says that the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, The dead in Christ will will rise first. Hey, they'll be the first ones. Those Christians who have have passed from this world, they'll, they'll be first. And then, we who are alive and remain, if we are still here, shall be called up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air. This idea that Jesus is going to come back here and reign for a thousand years... My friends, we're going to rise and meet Jesus in the air. Is he even going to set foot on the earth again? I, I, I think probably not. We're going to rise and meet him in the air. And thus, we shall always be with the Lord. And notice verse 18. Comfort one another with these words. Don't, don't be sad. Don't be sad over your loved ones. Comfort one another with these words. Now... As to when all of this might happen, he's he's painted a, a a picture of what that last day will will be like, and some of those Thessalonians are thinking, "Man, it's, it's just uh, imminent. It's just just any second now." But notice in chapter five, and, and remember, there were no chapters and verses when Paul wrote First Corinthians. This was or First Thessalonians this was just a a, a a continuous letter and so the thought the the idea about the second coming is still continues on here but concerning the times and the seasons brethren you have no need that I should write to you for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as as a thief in the night don't be don't be trying to, to make these predictions and and figure out when it's going to be, he will come as a thief in the night. When they say, "Uh, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. We, We know better. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunken at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, whether we wake or sleep. We should live together with him. And he says again, therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. And so the the advice he gives them, what he tells them to do is continue on with your life. Do what you've always been doing. Practice Practice God's Word, be a good example, help one another, make the proper preparation, and then when Jesus does return, you will be ready. And that is good advice even for us, since I, I think all of us know and understand that it is a waste of time for us to to even try to, to figure out when Jesus will return. Jesus tells us himself, of that day and hour knoweth knoweth no man, no, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. We we don't know. And I know we have a lot of predictors in our day and uh, date setters and people uh, who who say they figured it out. Well, my friends, they have not. We do not know. It reminds me of something uh, that Brad Pendergrass told me a... Uh, couple of years ago. If you remember, the, uh, the radio evangelist had uh, made the prediction on nationwide radio that Jesus was going to return, I'm, I'm thinking it was May the 14th, a uh, couple of years ago. And Brad was telling me that when, when his crew went to work that day, people were talking about it, and they were wondering, you know, did, did they need to be uh, looking for Jesus? Brad's answer was a good one. Brad said, I don't know when he's coming, but it's not today. Because everybody's looking for him. It's not gonna be today. That that was a good answer. Jesus will come as a thief in the night when we're when folks are not expecting it. We we can't know. We'll just make the proper preparation and we'll be ready. It is believed that 2 Thessalonians was written a relatively short time uh, after 1 after Thessalonians. The second coming and all of the ideas that we've just discussed really is also the main theme of 2 of, of Thessalonians, just as it was with 1 Thessalonians. But Paul makes one thing clear very quickly. In the very first chapter, he says in verse 6, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. Now, when we get over into chapter 2 in just a minute, we're going to see that there had been some troublers. There had been some folks who had been teaching error, who had been uh, promoting false doctrine there in Thessalonica, and it could be that this warning is for them. And to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. And so a a warning at the beginning of Second Thessalonians, of uh, making the proper preparation and being ready when Jesus returns. And for those who were giving the church problems, things were not looking very good for them for the future. And you know, in our day, and, and I guess a lot of us who stand in the pulpit on Sundays are are caught up in this just a little bit, trying to to be as kind as we can, trying to be as polite as we can, and and, and trying not to not to uh, hurt anybody's feelings or or offend anybody, trying not to do those things. And I wonder if if people like me sometimes our heart is in the right place and we're trying not to chase anybody away and so we're, we're, we're choosing our words carefully. I wonder sometimes if we should not be a little bit more like the Apostle Paul and just read passages like the one we just read and just make it clear to everybody that in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They'll be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Maybe maybe we should stop trying to sugarcoat everything and just tell it like it is, the way the Apostle Paul did. Now why did the Thessalonians have all of these false ideas? What was... What was going on there in, in Thessalonica? Maybe, maybe we get a little bit of a clue over here in chapter 2. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, again, that's been the main theme of, of both letters. We ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Could it be that there were deceivers who were, were saying, well, I've got a letter here from the Apostle Paul, and this is what he says. Or, or maybe I got a message from Paul, and, and he told me to deliver this to you. And, and with that, folks were accepting it as true. Paul says here, uh, by letter, as if from us. Could it be those false teachers were saying, hey, hey, we got this from Paul. Whatever it was, they certainly were teaching error in Thessalonica, especially concerning the second coming, and those folks were believing it. He he goes on, he goes on, and he mentions the man of sin. Uh, We'll read this passage, and then we'll talk about that a minute. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin, he says, is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that "...when I was still with you, I told you these things. And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming." The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Now, there's lots of ideas about the man of sin and just who that is. But if you think back to just last Sunday night, we were studying from uh, 1st and 2nd and 3rd John. And John talked about the Antichrist. And I wonder if Paul's... Uh, Powell uses the the expression, the phrase, the man of sin. John talks about the Antichrist. And remember, both of them are saying that they will be teaching error. That they will be teaching false doctrine. They'll be leading people astray with the doctrine that they are preaching and teaching. And, And I wonder if if they basically might just be have the same general idea here, that there will be false teachers, that there will be people who will be teaching error, and they will be leading people in the wrong direction. And notice he says that even at that time, the, the lawlessness was already working. Remember that John said last week in our study, that the antichrist were already there in the first century. And so I'm wondering if uh, the idea is just not basically the same. Paul says the man of sin. Uh, John says the antichrist, but I believe the idea is false teachers, false doctrine, people leading other folks astray with their false teaching. We have to we have to be very careful even in in our day, and make sure that we stick to the New Testament and the New Testament pattern, and those are the things that we must preach and teach and practice and I realize we look around us, we look around us and I, I'm sorry to say there's so much false doctrine out there it's 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 scary sometimes, and I realize that there are times when we in the Lord's church trying to stick to the New Testament pattern, we just feel like a, a sore thumb, a sticking out, and being different from everybody else. But Peter says that we are a peculiar people. And he doesn't mean strange. He means that we are we are distinct. We are different from the world in general. And so regardless of what we see happening around us, my friends... Let us stick to the New Testament pattern and and not be fooled by the false doctrine that we see and even by the wave of change that we see blowing through the church. Let us make sure we are are not caught up in those things and fall away. He mentioned that, that some have actually seemingly just... Give up on life. They quit work and they, they're just sitting around waiting for Jesus. But in chapter, in chapter three, he tells them to do this. This is, this is his final admonition to them in, in second Thessalonians, starting at, at verse seven. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you when Paul was there in Thessalonica nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but we worked with labor and toil night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have authority. Paul is just saying, hey, I'm an apostle, and I had the right to expect support. But why did you do that, Paul? To make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this... If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such we command and exhort through the Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. In other words... We don't know when Jesus is going to return. Your, your loved ones who died as Christians, they are safe. They're, they're going to be there. Don't worry about them. But as for yourself, go about your business, work, provide for yourself, make the proper preparation, and then when that day comes, we will all rise to meet the Lord in the air. Wow, uh, there's a lot to learn in first and second Thessalonians. I hope that you have been able to take these lessons and uh, gain something from it. One thing we know we must do this morning this morning, my lesson was about uh, water baptism, and I, I hope uh, going about it in my roundabout way, I didn't uh, cause more confusion. Uh, than actually help you. I hope that was the case. Tonight, I want to be a little more direct. We know that we need to obey the gospel. That means repentance of sins. That means confessing the name of Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And yes, as we noted this morning, that means immersion in the waters of baptism for the remission of sins. That's what happens in the waters of baptism. As we noted in Romans chapter 6. We repent of our sins. Our our old man. The person that we used to be. Uh, he, he dies. He's gone. Because we've changed our life. We are buried. In the waters of baptism. Just as Jesus was laid in the tomb. And as he resurrected from the dead. We come up out of those waters. A new creature and a member of the Lord's church. You can... Make that happen this very night. If you've made that decision, we'll help you get it done. Perhaps you have been a Christian at some point, not as faithful as you should have been, and you know it. Repent of those things that caused you to fall, and ask for the prayers of the faithful and be restored. While we stand and sing.